Do you miss when music was about music and not about false nails, fake eyelashes, and a wig? Would you like to listen to something real? If the answer is yes, welcome to Just Music, a podcast that really cares about independent artists, the best music, and interviews without censorship. Podcasting from London, United Kingdom, the world's music business capital, and the city where Jack the Ripper was never carved. Here's Aramatius to serve you. Alan G. Parker is an Emmy-nominated British documentary film director, best known for his films Who Killed Nancy, Monty Python, Almost the True, The Lawyer's Cut, and It Was 50 Years Ago Today, The Beatles, Sgt. Pepper, and Beyond. Hi, Alan. How is it going? It's going good. Um, you know, Saturday afternoon, all good. Nice cool beer. Um, so, yeah, I'm okay. I'm good. I'm in a, I'm in a very good mood. Well, Alan, I want to start from the beginning of your career, so prior to becoming a filmmaker. You worked with various punk and rock uh, bands and artists such as the Bascocks, Public Image LTD and Stiff Little Fingers, thanks to your connection as a press officer at Amy Records in London. How do you remember those years? Well, I wasn't a press, basically what happened when I first moved to London, I worked for a press company, but not for EMI. I, I worked for an independent press company called um, Judy Totten Publicity. Judy's now no longer with us, but uh, she was a, a she was a great mentor. She there was a guy who worked for Judy at the same time, mm -hmm. certainly around a lot when I was, called John Taylor, and he'd been the bass player in a band called Ibex, which was Freddie Mercury's first band before Queen. Mm -hmm. So it's a great way of learning things, almost just sitting and listening to them, you know. Um, and they were great people, really, really nice people. Um, John was also incredibly helpful when we did the status quo movie years later. Um, but I knew a girl who was in press at EMI, and I'd known her for a long time, even before I became a press guy. Mm -hmm. So this position came up at EMI to look after sort of some of the book bands and some of the rock bands mm -hmm. and a bit of the sort of catalogue material, which would include the comedy stuff, Carry On Team, Kenneth Williams, uh, you know, that kind of thing. They gave me a long list of all the punk bands they had, mm -hmm. and they asked me, could I put together a punk compilation album, but not the obvious punk compilation album. So they don't want a record that is like, say, uh, Sex Pistols, God Save the Queen, Buzzcocks Ever Fallen In Love. They want those bands, but they want the tracks to be a bit more obscure. Mm -hmm. So I compiled an album that was things like Buzzcocks, uh, Why She's a Girl From The Chain Store. I think The Pistols was uh, My Way, maybe. Stiff Little Fingers was definitely back to front. Stranglers was probably a later single rather than an early one. And I, I it, it was called Whatever Happened To. You also wrote for magazines and published books about Sid Vicious, The Clash and Stiff Little Fingers. And I'm really curious about what is your position about Sid Vicious as later on in 2009, you made the film Who Killed Nancy? Uh, what really happened in Room 100? Let me, let, me, let me answer that in two parts, because the first part is about magazines and books. In many ways, it's quite laughable that I ever wrote a single magazine or a single book because I was diagnosed completely dyslexic and word-blind, age 11. Mm -hmm. I kind of I taught myself to write 
long after I left school. Mm-hmm. I could write when I was at school, but nothing you'd have got paid for in a million years, you know, stringing sentences together. Then later on, it was like, well, I know now what people are looking for and I can, if, I, if I'm excited by it, which might be a band I like, then it, I could write a bit more on it. I, I used to, I, I have to be honest and say, I used to way more enjoy writing magazine articles than writing books because books is a thankless, tedious task. Mm-hmm. And it goes on forever and ever and ever and ever, you yeah. know. And then when you, after time, when you hand them in, the publishers go, oh, this is great, but we just need a bit more on that and a bit more on this. And it's like, you know, forget it. It goes on for days. Um, I, the Sid Vicious thing for me is, fuck, in my life is so overplayed. It's unreal. You know, I'm a, I'm a rock fan. I'm a yeah. metal fan. I dabble. I dabble. <laughs> so there's not even one star in the in the with. rock system that mm, doesn't have anything controversial. So I I also wanted to know at that time how this affected the you know the controversial and the notorious image of the Sex Pistols and yeah. punk music and also. I mean, I've interviewed probably everybody that know knew that guy, right? In depth. Yeah. Maybe a couple of people I didn't interview, but mainly, largely, yes, I did. And I can say I, I'm no, I'm none the wiser, because yeah. there's a, for every person there's another opinion, and it's oh yeah it might be this it might be that, so I don't know for sure. Um, Sid Vicious to me has become a bit of an albatross around my neck because, mm-hmm. it, it's become an easy way for people who don't like. There's always when you set yourself up to do things this big, there'll always be people who like what you do, mm-hmm. and there'll always be people who don't like what you do. And those who don't like what you do seem to think that Sid Vicious is a sort of stick to beat me with. Well, he's not, because some of my biggest movies have got nothing to do with Sid Vicious. And so my my take on it is, did, did Sid Vicious kill Nancy? I don't know, I wasn't there, I haven't got a clue. I made a film that I think kind of half proves maybe he didn't, but then you might show it to someone who's not a big fan of that film and they may think that completely he did, right? So my theory on it really, I suppose by now in 2023, mm-hmm. my opinion is to not have an opinion. Well, you did nine movies in seven years, uh, something extremely admirable. And later you decided to take another step away from Sid Vicious, who killed Nancy. Uh, this is to me like a second period in your career. Um, I'm talking about this because I recently bought for my best friend uh, one of your films that you released uh, one decade ago, Hello Cool, the official status quo movie, uh, 2012. And this is part of this new period after your punk documentaries. So can you let us know more about this decision and your connection with status quo? When I when I walked, I kind of decided not to do any more work with EMI. Mm-hmm. I'd done everything I could do with EMI. Mm-hmm. I walked away and I started concentrating heavily on film. Now, the way I got into film was via a guy called um, Martin Baker, but I also worked with um, Don Letts and I worked with a couple of other people. Um, at the time, I was also writing for one of the lads' mags. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was going on too. And I was getting very interested in film and where film was going. Now, initially, I had, prior to all that, I'd done some, been involved in some film work. I mean, I'd been involved in uh, setting up the deal for the Stiff Little Fingers live DVD. I'd been involved in setting up the deal for 
live DVDs by other bands, uh, worked on a few other side projects that became not major release movies, but films that would be on a DVD inside a box set of five albums or whatever it might be. But they did tend to all be punk. And I remember sitting down with a couple of people whose decisions I trusted greatly and I said, I, I don't want to be... I don't want to spend my whole life making punk rock movies. I knew some of the Python team quite well. I knew Terry Gilliam, I knew Mike Palin, mm -hmm. Terry Jones. And when we were making Who Killed Nancy, which I had, I mean, God, you know, I know I said this earlier with the books, but when we made the film, I, I, I said to the team before we even started work, that's it, no more mm -hmm. Sid Vicious projects, big red line underneath. And how come um, Monty Python almost true? When I came up with the idea for the Monty Python movie, that was me almost taking off my punk rock jacket and throwing it in the Thames. It was like, we're done. Monty Python had been also uh, one of the targets of cancer culture. Um, well, also John Cleese uh, calls cancer culture the death of uh, creativity. So I want to know uh, your opinion about uh, what can be considered unpolitically correct in humor uh, nowadays. Let me tell you something, right? And it's probably a generational thing. In fact, it's, I can nail it to a dartboard. It is a generational thing. Walk to me means getting up in the morning. I woke up and I got up, right? Mm -hmm. I, I'm not in, I, I saw something yesterday online that had me in tears. I laughed that loud. Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon mm -hmm. is about to be 50 years old in March and they're doing a reissue campaign. Mm -hmm. and Pink Floyd, on their official website, Facebook page, you know, social media platforms, put a logo up which is a 50 and through the middle of the zero is a rainbow. Mm -hmm. And within 20 minutes, apparently, there were people up in arms about what are they doing, you know, were they catering for this and that and the other and midgets and transsexuals and gimps and Christ knows what else, right? Did no one look at the cover of Dark Side of the Moon from 1973? It's a prism with a rainbow flying out one side of it for, uh, optically, right? If you're not careful, especially in our industry, yeah. you're going to get buried under a sea of something that you just don't understand. When we did the Monty Python film, we kind of... As I said, it was almost like taking the final punk t-shirt and throwing it in the Thames. It was like, yeah. this is a new beginning for us. This is brand new. Yeah. But also, for me personally, it was point one of a new direction as well because I knew full well that the team I'd been working with at the time, mm -hmm. so the producer, editor, cameraman, all that, I just wanted to walk away because I didn't feel as though I had any real Why? control in matters. I thought... I thought that it was a kind of team. They all knew each other really well. They'd known each other long before yeah. they met me. I was sort of facilitating things as a director, but I wasn't necessarily always given the last word on things, which you should have as a, you know, you kind of get your final cut. And I knew that I got on really well with my line producer. I knew that I got on really well with other people in the industry. So I thought the time to, we'll make Python, then walk away. And then at the end of that time, well, not, not even at the end of it, during that time off, is when Alexa Morris, my business partner and producer, we decided to form this company, Gizra and Blonde. Mm -hmm. And also, um, I went up north. My father died in 2005. My mother was still very much alive and well. And I went up north to see my mum. 
And when I arrived in my hotel, I got I checked in the room, got in the hotel room, lovely place called Stanley House in Whiteman, and the phone rang. And it was a, a, a good friend of mine, and he said, oh, I didn't even know he knew I was there. Apparently he'd seen my brother a day or two beforehand, so he knew I came up. And he said, oh, he said, um, you know Status Quo are playing in town tonight? I said, no, I didn't know. He said, we should go and see them. So I rang up Status Quo's press officer in London. I thought, they're not going to have a guest list in Blackburn. They won't know no one in Blackburn. And I said, can you get us into the show? And he said, yes. Okay. So me and my mate Johnny went to see Status Quo. Lights went down. They start playing Caroline. This is very much the Rick and Francis lineup. And he looked at me and I looked at him. It's kind of like, you know, what a great story this lot have got, you know. They were they were this big multi, multi-platinum selling band. They filled stadiums. They did the denim thing before anybody else did the denim thing. They they had this big cocaine thing going on, that alcohol thing going on with all different members. Uh, they toured the entire world. They, you know, they ended up being in prison one night for something they didn't do. Mm-hmm. It's a great story. It's a good yeah, story for a movie. The greatest strength I brought to the status quo movie is that I was a bit of a fan, but not quo daft. Yes, because if I'd be more uh, objective that if you were quo, yeah. exactly if I'd been quo daft, mm-hmm. I'd have been looking at it from a very blinkered point of view. Yeah. And do you think that you were more fan maybe from the Sex uh, Pistols than from Status Quo? No, I know more Status Quo than Sex Pistols. Okay, okay. Yeah. So quo, quo, quo maybe maybe Quo was the first one that you feel. Uh, oh no, Python was probably the first one. Python was the first one where I actually felt like a film director and not someone who was trying to be a film director. I mean, I, I love Who Killed Nancy, I'm proud of Who Killed Nancy, but I think if it's more, I went it's, back it's, and no. cut it tomorrow, yeah. it'd be a different film. Okay, so I think it's time to jump into Sgt. Pepper. One of my favourite albums ever made is Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Ice Club Band, right? Love it, love it to death. And I said to... You know, some of the team, God, that would be a good subject for a, a movie because it's such a big album. Yeah. And while it was being made, there were so many things happened to the Beatles around that time that we now take for granted. You know, uh, Hippiedom started LSD, John met Yoko, Brian Epstein, the manager died. <laughs> they met the Maharishi, they got involved in Indian religion. <laughs> ultimately, we made it, ultimately, we made a, a movie about this album, this huge mm-hmm. album that's been a part of my life since I was nine years old. And I'm so proud of that film because I, you know what? It, it would be really, really, really odd of me to sit here and say we got everything right because it's not my job to do that. Mm-hmm. But when you get Beatles fans who are so dedicated that they show you their, they start by showing you their Beatles tattoo and then they go, your film is incredible. And I go, really? Wow, we must have done something right then. We definitely got a bit of unreleased footage in it. We definitely got some stories in there I know I hadn't been told before. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm immensely proud of it. And it kind of stemmed to the next step um, because after the Pepper film and the press campaign was huge, I mean, it went on forever. Mm-hmm. I started doing press in May 2017 and I was still doing press for Australia, America and Japan in March 2018. Right, went on forever, almost a calendar year, because we'd released it in different places at different times. And after it ended, 
we sat down and thought about what next. And we'd always said never, never go back to the same source. Mm -hmm. Never do the same thing. Because we don't want to create that Sid Vicious tag again. We want to walk away from that crap, again, you know, again. Why to again, walk again, again from Sid Vicious? Uh, motherfucker. Did so your family disown you because of Sid Vicious? No, no. So what happened there? Nothing <laughs> happened. I just got bored with it all. Um, and I decided, we, we, we sat there, we think, okay, so we did the Sergeant Pepper on the 50th anniversary. So in three years' time, this was in, sorry, in two years' time, in 2018, it's going to be the 40th anniversary of John Lennon's assassination. So what if we did a film on John Lennon, which came out on the 40th anniversary of his assassination? Mm -hmm. Obviously, at this point in time, we didn't know what COVID was. We didn't know COVID was coming around the corner, like a big... 75-legged octopus with 94 eyes that ate everything, right? We didn't know that. We hadn't got a clue. So we spent the bulk of 2018 and a whole bunch of 2019 literally doing so much research. Mm -hmm. Deep Dive doesn't come into it. We were reading every John Lennon book that we hadn't read already. The ones we had read already, we were reading again. We were watching all the previous movies. We were going through uh, lots of bootlegs to see all the footage that was out there. And we go, there is a, there is a John Lennon film. Amazing. And there's a John Lennon film that is the bit I'm proudest about is there's a John Lennon film that nobody has told before. There's a story that's got aspects of it that no one has told before on film. I'm not saying you can't read some of these pointers in books. I'm not saying you can't spend 10 days on the internet digging and not find them because we did. Mm -hmm. But not, yeah, but not film, on film. On film it's brand new, exactly. right? How long is taking so far? Oh, God. Uh, a long time. I mean, we were, we were doing research work in the summer of 2018. Okay. We did more research work through 2019. Mm -hmm. We finally found the guy that was going to be our initial investor in late 2019. Mm -hmm. He then agreed to put money in in the early part of 2020. And before we'd really properly got up and running, we'd been doing a lot of planning to get up and running. We could feel, turn it into a movie, you know. Mm -hmm. And I am So will you say that you are more in uh, about to start the editing process or we're about to start edit. Okay. And I'm so excited because That's I know we've got I think we've got the best film we've ever made. As oh, it's gonna take you too long to review all the material. It's gonna take a while. We've got a long edit plan, but I think we've got something special and When it goes out, and I've, I'm looking at kind of September, October, maybe November of this year, certainly this year, okay. I think people are going to be surprised by it. I think it's going to be a bit of a game changer in so much as it's not the same as all the previous John Lennon documentaries. Mm -hmm. It's got different things going for it. And, I, and the other thing I'm so proud of is, I won't even mention his name because I, like most John Lennon fans, I'm not keen on him. Yeah, But the man who killed John Lennon, it's this film, let's get one thing straight with the fans. This is not another, was he a patsy, did he do it, did he not do it movie. I'm very happy for you, Alan. Uh, thank you so much for your time, it's been great. And let me know when it's out. Thank you so much and it's, it's, been, it's been fun. And uh, yeah, let's go and get another beer. I feel, exactly. I feel, I feel like that's the way forward.